And also, you know, you've got to change your thinking. You know, you've got to shift the paradigm of your thinking from these pills that are made in a laboratory are actually the things we want to stay away from. And the things that are growing out of the ground that come from the earth that are actually, literally, the chemical composition of it matches up directly with our own bodies and then with the endocannabinoid system. So you need to start, you need to change the way you think about it and change the way that, you know, your first initial thought when it comes to marijuana is, oh God, I can't, I, that's too scary for me to even touch. I'm Evan Britton. I played six years in the NFL as an offensive lineman. And you're listening to Heads and Tails Podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. This week I'm interviewing Eben Britton. Uh, he spent six seasons in the NFL as an offensive lineman, the first four with the Jacksonville Jaguars and the last two with the Chicago Bears. Um, prior, to, prior to the NFL, Eben was an All-American at the University of Arizona. He's also an, an advocate now for Athletes for Care, which we're going to learn a little bit more about. But he's also he's advocating for um, the removal of cannabis from the list of banned substances in the NFL. And... Uh, I'm really excited to have him on the podcast, and uh, he's traveled a long way to get to Pittsburgh. We're at the, the World Medical Cannabis Conference, and yeah. I, I drove out here to meet him. So, Evan, can you just you know kind of start off by talking about maybe the first time you tried marijuana? Yeah, since yeah, we're, for what, sure. When in Rome? <laughs> I guess that's a, st- a good start. I mean, first of all, man, thanks for having me on. I think this is awesome what you're doing, what you got going here. Um, you know, the first time I tried marijuana... You know, I would have to start and go back a little bit. Um, You know, I was raised in this family that was very holistically minded, homeopathically minded people that, you know, really looked at food as medicine first. You know, then you exercise to take care of yourself. You drink water. You use whatever natural uh, remedies that are available before ever going to a doctor to get some prescription for something to take care of some ill or um, whatever it might be. Um, so that I think really sort of, uh, was the beginning of my own personal education and my personal health was from a very young age. Uh, even when I first started playing football, my mom would drive my brother and I to yoga classes and we'd be dragging around okay. doing all kinds of different extra training and all this when stuff. When did you start playing football? Uh, my freshman year of high school. Okay, so you were on the later end yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, thank God, thank God. I, my mom, and it was really my mom would never let me play until finally going into my freshman year of high school, I just begged her and my dad helped me kind of convince her and she was like, all right, fine. But she always well, thought you're what, I'd six, get hurt. I'm six, six. <laughs> oh, six, six. I was always the biggest kid, but my mom was always terrified that I was going to get hurt. And I just, for whatever reason, I had this, this dream to play in the NFL. I remember being a really little kid at my grandparents' house in Connecticut, uh, watching, you know, clips on the news of the Giants and the Jets uh, training camp and just being in awe, like, man, this is what I want to do. You know, this is my dream right there. And so finally getting to play in high school, it was just like, you know, I had the, I had all the right people around me. I had a great group of coaches who were very, um, supportive and really built my confidence and really, you know, I think stoked the fire of, you know, this dream to play in the league. They were like, man, you know, if you really dedicate yourself, and you really work hard, you could, you, you know, you could take care of your family for the rest of your life, you know, if you, you know, if things go right. And I just, I believed it. I grabbed onto it. Everything I did from the time I was 13, probably even younger because I was training before my freshman year of high school, but I was lifting weights, I was eating, I was sleeping, I was dreaming, I was thinking. Everything was about football and being the best player I could possibly be be the most dominant guy on the field. I wanted to be the greatest offensive lineman or greatest lineman football player in general. You know, I wanted to go out there and I wanted to strike fear into people. And so, you know, that mentality really, that carried me into the league. And, uh, you know, 
I was very lucky. I didn't deal with many injuries in high school and college. I had a shoulder that would subluxate. That started about my freshman year of high school, where, you know, a subluxation is any time that shoulder slides out of the socket and then back in on its own. That would happen a few times a year, and that would be constant throughout the year. Um, but really, that was the only, you know, physical injury I, I was really uh, going through um, consistently through high school and college. Like, it was a repetitive thing. Every year it was like, okay, when's my shoulder going to come out of the socket? You know, until finally my sophomore, <laughs> sophomore, my second season in the league in 2010, we're playing the Chiefs. I've got this back injury I'm dealing with with a herniated disc and sciatica running down my, my leg. I can't feel my right foot on the ground. And we're playing the Chiefs, and sure enough, my shoulder fully dislocates. And that was the first time it ever fully dislocated? Fully dis. Yeah, that was the first time it had literally I, – I, uh, we were on a, an outside zone play, and the Chiefs run this 3-4. And so at right tackle, I was like blasting through the outside edge of that D-end up to the linebacker. And it's uh, Derek Johnson from the Chiefs. He stuck his helmet right in my collarbone. I, my legs got caught up in the in the mayhem and yeah, the, the wave. Yeah. <laughs> I went down and I landed a, like on a ninety degree angle right on my elbow, and my shoulder just literally came out. I didn't, you know, it was one of those things. You know how it is, man. When you get hurt in a game, like you know, it's just I popped up. I was like, wow, that's weird. I, you know, not to mention I was on. Uh, you know, a handful of narcotics from Adderall and Toradol to Vicodin. Um, Just because I, of other injuries that you were trying yeah, to manage? Yeah, at, at that point I was dealing with uh, this herniated disc, L5-S1, that was just wreaking havoc on my lower body. And it was, uh, the sciatica was, I mean, com just unbearable. You and know? the Adderall and Toradol Adderall, alleviated it? Or? Um, you know, Adderall, really, I felt like it helped um you know get me distract my mind out of the pain and it was also you know I I had a therapeutic use exemption to use Adderall for ADHD and I think it really helped with that Cuz that's technically a banned substance That's in a the banned NFL, substance yeah. it's a performance enhancer yep um and then the Toradol you know that was a, that became a staple right before every game go and get a shot of Toradol you know you and pull like down the Most guys do that or yeah, up until about two years ago when they decided, the NFL decided that it wasn't allowed for teams to give shots of Toradol anymore. Now, then they were giving pills, and it was because they decided that, uh, or they had seen through research that t taking Toradol thinned the blood to such an extent that it would exacerbate the prevalence of concussions. You know, and so making that, which is, that's great. And Toradol is... You know, as much as I leaned on it as a player, I mean, it, it's just something that's too destructive on the human body to be considered, you know, especially in the amounts, you know, okay, you have one Toradol shot a year. Okay, great. You know, but you're doing it at least once a week. Right. That's crazy. On top of everything else. And, you know, your kidneys and your liver and your stomach and all these really vital organs in our body are just, you know, they're, they're deteriorating and they're very taxed by these things. Um, anyway, going back, the first time I tried marijuana was in high school. I had a very intense experience. Um, it was actually right after the football season. Um, a few of me and my teammates, we got together at a buddy's house and smoked a joint or something like that. And uh, I remember I was just much too intense and I didn't really, uh, you know, it wasn't something that I kept up using very consistently until I got to the NFL. Right. Um, in college, I used it a little bit more, but really, you know, when you're worried about drug tests, it's not really something that you think you can use, you know, and you, you shy away from using it. So really when I got to the NFL and it's, it, um, you start to, you learn the system and going back, you know, I was very lucky in high school and college with, you know, very little injuries. So there was very little amounts of substances I was taking. I wasn't taking okay. a whole lot of painkillers so or anti-inflammatories. Yeah, okay. You know, when I got to the NFL and I start like talking to these veterans and getting to understand the game and you see the landscape and how it changes, you know, it was 
incredible. I mean, every single guy on an NFL roster is prescribed some sort of anti-inflammatory just to start as a baseline. You're taking Cataflam or Indocin or Celebrex, whatever your, you know, flavor of choice is. And so, you know, guys are taking these every single day. You know, the grind, it only... It only uh, compiles over the over the seasons. You know, your body is just, you know, that knee injury from last year. Well, just because you healed from that thing, doesn't mean that there's not scar tissue and residual damage in the structure in the overall structure of your body that you know you can't always account for. So there's yeah. going to be constant. There's a constant need to get yourself out of pain. And so, you know, the way that's handled is these prescription anti-inflammatories and then the opiates. And uh, I was having a discussion, uh, a talk with uh, Marvin Washington earlier. And, you know, he was saying that he was taking painkillers at the beginning of training camp, you know, right. you and still all have the way through the least, season. Yeah, how many more weeks left? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're looking at like, you know, six months of opiate use. And so that's incredibly hard on the system. And, you know, to just think you're going to just walk out of the football facility and be like, oh, I don't need the painkillers anymore. It's just it's not the way it works. Right. These things grab you. And guys get cut. and Guys get cut. I mean, that's, you know, something we didn't really get to touch on in the panel, but it's a very important point. Of and especially, they're still addicted to these opiates, right? Yeah. I mean, you come into the office. They tell you you're done with the team, whether you're getting cut or they're not re-signing you or you're a free agent. You go pack up a box of stuff in your locker you walk out the door and you never come back. You might. You might get re-signed if you're lucky. But a lot of times, you know, you're, you're walking off into the sunset, expected to fade out into isolation and, you know, without any answers, with, you know, your, your bottles of pills in your hand. And it's like there has to be something better. And, you know, that's really, you know, how we get to this point, which is, you okay. know, cannabis can be a solution to all this stuff. So when did that starting when did that start to become a solution for you in your career and like how did that help you extend your career? Yeah. Um it became a solution, you know, as an athlete. I think you know, I don't think I'm speaking for myself here, but I think that athletes if you have a life in sports or a life uh, a a life where you enjoy physical activity and exercise, you're going to be you're going to have some uh intuition about what's happening in your body when you take things, when you, what foods, how foods make you feel, um, you know, and that extends to, you know, when you take something that's incredibly powerful, a powerful narcotic like an opiate, and you take it and you're, if you're conscious of the effect it has on you, I was very conscious of it. I remember these specific instances of taking, you know, a couple Percocet or Vicodin and just my thinking changed from normal or somewhat normal to uh, totally irrational and angry and fueled by rage, um, just like I was on a hair trigger. And that was, you know, being uh, directed at, you know, my mother and my girlfriend, now my wife, um, you know, and these people were in these very vulnerable states that I was in when I was injured and on injured reserve and you're you know, you're unable to compete, you're unable to do anything, you know, you're very, uh, you're in a very helpless state, you know, I needed to have people tie my shoes, put my socks on, help me put clothes on. Um, and so that's, you know, those painkillers really exacerbated that experience and made it much more difficult to navigate. And so juxta not only that, made it really difficult to sleep. I was waking up at three o'clock in the morning with withdrawal symptoms. Um, anyone who's ever been through that, you know, that's a, that's a horrible experience. You know, you're up, you're just in an, an incredible amount of discomfort. You have chills, you have cold sweats, your stomach feels like it's got a knife in it. Um, and, you know, on the other side, you've got cannabis, this plant that comes from the earth that's non-toxic. That when I used cannabis and I had this, this experience of, you know, being in this constant state of pain, I, I started getting, the injuries sort of started catching up with me in the NFL. You know, it was first, it was my back. I herniated the disc in my back and that sciatica just like 
it sent me into a spiral. You know, my body was so out of whack. I remember the day I herniated the disc um, doing these uh, Kaiser squats on the air pressure machines. Had like, you know, eight or 900 pounds of pressure on there and we're doing these explosive drop squats. And I wasn't ready. I didn't have my core engaged. I dropped down and I fucking felt this, you know, it was like a tube of toothpaste getting squirt into my right butt cheek. And I was like, what in the hell was that? I thought I'd torn my hamstring. Uh, I thought maybe I'd torn my glute. I'd never experienced anything like that. And sure enough, it's that I, I her- totally herniated and ruptured that disc to the point where that gel inside that disc was just smashing against my sciatic nerve um and didn't end up having surgery until uh basically a year later you know and i was just dealing i was just doing everything i could with a a core regimen and stretching exercises and all you know anti-inflammatories and opiates don't do shit for nerve pain you know they they make it worse so i didn't i didn't know that you know that was my experience. I mean, this, uh, the pulsing um, electricity of sciatic pain is just like nothing you, you can ever imagine. And there's very little that helps with it. And it's something that you can't baby. And you have to be active. You have to keep your body strong to stay out of that sciatic pain. And there's no way to do that if you're taking, you know, handfuls of pills. You can't take Vicodin and some anti-inflammatories and, you know, go and be active or go exercise or go rehab, go get your body out of pain, go do the things your body needs to do to, to heal. You know, that, that stuff locks you into submission. It locks you to the couch and... and uh, like just like mentally and like energy-wise or... Mentally and energy. Uh, I mean, that was my experience. You know, you, you have a very... Um, you know, the, the opiates really have a, a very, uh, they have a profound effect on your cardiovascular system. They make your heart, uh, you know, isn't able to work to the same capacity. You know, and with cannabis, cannabis is something that you can take. It'll reframe your pain, as my good buddy Nate Jackson likes to say, which I think is very, a very important point of the human process is that, you know, pain does serve a purpose in nature. You know, yeah. we're supposed to be feeling pain. You know, pain tells us things. We can learn from it. And so when you take these opiates, and what these things are doing, I learned, um, you know, over the last few years is, you know, opiates attack your central nervous system. So they go right to the brain stem, and they shut off the pain from there. So it's not actually going to say you have a, a bum elbow. The opiates aren't attacking and acutely, you know, working on that area. These things are telling your brain, oh, you're not in pain. So over time, your pain gets centralized in this spot in your brain. So your brain thinks that your body is in pain and in need of these pills. You know, cannabis doesn't work like that. We've got cannabinoid receptors all throughout our body. Our bodies produce their own endocannabinoids that facilitate these processes like our mood, how we uh, feel and deal with pain, our sleep rhythms, and our appetite. All things that, you know, have, are proven over and over again through, you know, research studies that cannabis has a positive effect on this, these processes in our body. And it's because cannabinoids in the cannabis plant interact with our own cannabinoid receptors and they help our bodies function at an optimum level. So it's not necessarily like, you know, you can quantify uh, the pain relieving aspects of cannabis as it relates to opiates. It's a totally different thing. Okay. Apples and oranges. Yeah. Yeah. It's a totally different experience and it's something that, you know, the opiates really, they close the doors on you. You know, that's, it's, it closes you down and shuts you into this box of isolation where the negative and the dark thoughts become more available, you know, and where cannabis Like can the really negative thoughts, like when you're on injured reserve and exactly. <clears throat> worrying about your job, is that 
that's what you mean? Yeah, definitely. And even, you know, man, I mean, you're going through, you know, the thing about football that nobody really ever talks about is that it is every football player is so overly adrenalized. You spend all day, every day in this super extreme environment where everything you're preparing your mind for is basically battle. is a physical battle with another person. And so you're constantly just running on adrenaline and cortisol. And when you come home from that, that long day in the NFL, I mean, you're spending, you know, 10 to 12 hours in that environment surrounded by 53 other guys, 52 other guys, it's highly competitive. Your jobs are on the line. You're in a ton of pain because yesterday you did the same thing. And so when you come home, especially after years and years and years of doing this, you know, whether you're a guy who played Pop Warner or you started in high school, I mean, those years and that cycle just perpetuates itself, you know, and you get into this instance where your body is comfortable with the adrenaline living in that heightened state of being that heightened, aggressive state that's adrenalized, that's all sympathetic nervous system. You know, cannabis, I think, helps guys get into the parasympathetic nervous system after a long day like that, which is basically decompressing the whole nervous system so that it can help you get into a state of healing and recovery. Okay, I see what you're saying. So you're, yeah, not in that, like, heightened state of exactly. awareness, the fight-or-flight exactly. mentality right. kind of helps yes. you, like, okay, interesting. So, yeah. So you're saying like in terms of pain relief, it doesn't really, I've it's never, not a, I've never ingested cannabis or <laughs> smoked cannabis. So yeah. I have no idea like what the yeah. effects are. Uh-huh. Um, I'm trying to like yeah. learn, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So it's not like a pain relieving remedy. It's more it's of like, like a, a comforting blanket. I like that. You know, <laughs> yeah. it, it's very, uh, it's very gentle. And you know, there's a lot of, you know, and we're wrapped up in a lot of, and a ton of misconception and misinformation because for decades you right, know, there's a huge stigma attached yeah, to it propaganda pharmaceutical companies you know it's not um i mean there's a, a plethora of reasons how we've gotten to this place of you know cannabis is like this back alley dark thing when reality this is a natural medicine that comes from the earth it's a medicinal herb that's been used for thousands of years before, you know, Western medicine, before doctors, you know, people weren't going to, uh, you know, how did people figure out what worked to heal things, you know, in their tribes and their, you know, in these smaller, more primitive societies, people talked about it to each other, like what these things do for you. And, you know, as modern science kind of starts to catch up with, you know, man's knowing for thousands and thousands of years that cannabis is a, a beneficial medicine for a number of ailments. You know, research studies are showing that the endocannabinoid system is involved in just about every disease and ailment and sickness and injury that the body goes through. It's involved in that healing process. Um, you know, if you read this guy, Dr. Mishulam. Okay, I'll try to link that up. Yeah, uh, Check out Dr. Mishulam. He is basically the godfather, the patriarch of cannabinoid science and brain health. And he's done these studies, and he's basically found that. So when a guy has a concussion, he's done these studies with rats. When a guy has a concussion, the brain hits the inside wall of the skull, and damage occurs. Receptors there, part of the, a simplified version of the process that's happening is, receptors in the brain start to release this stuff called glutamate. And glutamate is there to initiate the recovery process. It's just like in any other part of our body, that, in, that uh, recovery process gets initiated. And what it does is it actually starts to begin, it, it starts to uh, create scar tissue because glutamate is very toxic over long periods of time and it just sits in the brain, especially in football players' brains, where we're going back out there Every and there's day, no yeah. break. Yeah. So you've got this glutamate just stewing in the brain tissue and it's starting to scar and destroy that brain matter. This is what we're finding in guys who have CTE, yeah. 
chronic traumatic encephalopathy. I mean, this is a this is real. This is reality. So what they're finding with cannabinoids is that they cross the blood-brain barrier. They go in there and they're able to shut off these receptors that are pumping out the glutamate. It neutralizes the glutamate and actually helps flush it out of the brain, t- brain tissue. And it actually triggers this thing called neurogenesis, which is basically the formation of new brain cells. So this, I mean, just the simple fact that this is a possibility, it should be a number one priority of the NFL and, and really, you know, the enterprise of football in general to start figuring out how to incorporate this thing into the game. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, that's... Yeah, it seems like a no-brainer to me in that sense. No pun intended. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, I guess the only thing that kind of came up to my mind is like when when we were growing up, we were like the same age. Like everyone used to tell you, or at least the D.A.R.E. program and the police would come in. And they'd say that, you know, smoking marijuana would make you dumber or like make you dumber, kill brain cells. Make you lazy. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So you're saying the opposite and you're saying that the research kind of shows that as well. I, I'm saying the opposite. My experience has proven to me the opposite. And I think that science only continues to back up my story and about a thousand other people, <laughs> hundreds of thousands of other people's stories from, you know, military veterans with PTSD to the football players and this group of us talking about it and what it's done for us, you know, I, I'm one of maybe a few guys that has been outspoken about using cannabis actually during my football career, you know, but guys like Kyle Turley who didn't use cannabis throughout his career because he comes from a very uh, conservative background and didn't really understand what it was, was very affected by the stigma. You know, he came out of his career on, you know, addicted to opiates, on every kind of anti-anxiety and antidepressant, antipsychotic medications known to man, and his life was falling apart. His family was was uh, was crumbling, and he needed to find something. And cannabis literally saved Kyle's life, and it's electrifying to hear him talk about it. And you know, these stories are just backed up, one after another. And if we can make a positive impact using our voice to talk about this thing, man, like football players, these guys need this. Right. You know, this is important. And you're saying that you potentially avoided a situation like Kyle's because you had been using cannabis all along. So how did you not get caught doing it? Or is that like an insider insider trader trading uh, (laughs) secret? No, I mean, the NFL is pretty, it's interesting. I mean, it's, it's uh, hypocritical. I mean, it's, um, it's a very interesting, outdated system that they, they use. So you've got, throughout the year, you've got random PED or performance-enhancing drug tests happening whenever they want at random. You could get tested once a week, twice a week, you know, maybe once a month. It's totally random. Or so they say. And so (laughs) on the other side, though, you've got street drugs, is what they like to call it, and which is what marijuana falls under. And that's only an annual test. So they test that for that once a year. And you generally have a good idea about when it's coming. It's uh, happening somewhere between, you know, the beginning of OTAs to sometime during training camp. And then after that... And after that, you're free. You, you can do what you need to do and uh, consume cannabis, do whatever you got to do. Um, so really, you know, it becomes an IQ test, you know, at the end of the day. You know, and I don't mean to say that, like, you know, guys who have failed for, you know, marijuana in the past are, are dumb. But at the same time, you know, and everybody's bodies function differently. There's all kinds of myths and, you know, weird rumors about how long cannabinoids stay in your system and, you know, how long you need to be, you know, before they're completely out and you'd have a, you know, um, a drug-free urine sample. Uh, but, you know, guys get caught up. Things happen. Life happens, you know. And who's to say that their pain isn't still exactly. yeah, going on? Exactly. And who's to say? Yeah. And then, you know, but... But on that note, you know, you've got guys like Ricky Williams, 
you know, even Todd Harriman's, who were very conscious. You know, they're very conscious in, in their thinking about using it. And they're like, man, you know, my body goes to hell. And I'm not willing to take these pills that are just going to destroy me. Right. You know, and so they had a lot of thinking and they were very conscious in, in their decision to use it. You know, I was very lucky to, you know, it worked out. I, I was always free to use it. I never uh, failed a test for it. Um, and being put into the program is really, you know, that's a, that's a really tough spot to be in. All right. Two more questions before we get off the cannabis uh, topic. Yeah. Like, in terms of the forms that you can consume cannabis, is one more effective than the other uh, in I terms think, of, no, yeah, like for an NFL player? Um, I think, you know, if we want to make it really clean and corporate and all that stuff, uh, you know, sure. We can make CBD pills. You can make, you know, with a little bit of THC in there, you can make, you know, the creams, uh, sprays, oils, tinctures. I mean, there, there's vapes, you know, there's about a thousand different ways to get it in and they're all just as effective as the other. And, uh, you know, there are ways to do it without having to, you know, smoke it. Did that affect your lung function at all, or it, no? It hasn't. It really hasn't. Um, you know, <laughs> I you know I you hear it all the time that you know you need to you know smoking is probably the least healthy way to consume cannabis, and it rightfully probably is. But at the same time, it never had any effect on my cardiovascular uh, fitness level. Um, it's actually a bronchodilator, which means that. Uh, Opens cannabis up. opens up the lungs and the and the airways so you know it's got it's a very mystical plant that's got a lot of you need to you, you know it's a, it takes uh, in some ways in many ways it takes a life's journey to really understand especially since we're in this place where you know it's been so demonized by our government that yeah. people have to figure it out on their own mm-hmm. you know there aren't really any guidelines to like how do i you know, how do I figure out how much THC or how much CBD I should take? And it's like, well, I mean, if it wasn't illegal, maybe we'd have those Yeah, answers. we'd know, yeah. Um, I know, like, when I was in high school, I'd be at parties and kids would be, you know, smoking marijuana. And I would be nervous because, like, my goal was, like, I'm playing college football. I'm not yeah. going to get in trouble. So I would, like, call my mom, leave the party, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. I'm getting out of here. Yeah, no, um, I get it. But that's because there's a huge stigma around yeah. it, right? So. Yeah. What do you think needs to happen in order for, like, what would you tell athletes in high school, you know? In um, order I think that. To destigmatize. I think that you got to approach this in a few ways. You know, first of all, this isn't, you know, marijuana, weed, cannabis is something that needs to be respected as a medicinal plant. This is a very potent powerful medicine and so you know young people who knows this is argued and debated but you know there's some um research that supports the idea that an un uh, a not fully developed mind or brain you know can be kind of adversely affected by you know cannabis consumption so you know any anyone under the age of I guess, you know, 21 for legal purposes, but really your brain isn't finished developing until 26. Um, So, you know, I'd be very mindful of that. And then I I would suggest that you look into CBD. And CBD, let that be your starting point. CBD is the non-psychoactive cannabinoid. Um, So it doesn't have that intense psychoactivity, high feeling that THC does. Yet it comes with a lot of the uh, anti-inflammatory and antioxidant properties. And I think that it could be a great way to start in educating yourself on what the plant is. And also, you know, you've got to change your thinking. You know, you've got to shift the paradigm of your thinking from these pills that are made in a laboratory are actually the things we want to stay away from. Right. And the things that are growing out of the ground that come Which from the earth. Everyone's all about organic. and That are yeah. actually, literally, the chemical composition of it matches up directly with our own bodies and the, with the endocannabinoid system. So you need to start, you need to change the way you think about it and change the way that, you know, your first initial thought when it comes to marijuana is, 
oh god i can't i that's too scary for me to even <laughs> touch because you know you still meet people like that and uh it's important to change the thinking into this is a medicinal plant right you know, this is a plant that has many uses not only medicinally but it's a superfood you know, as uh, nutritionally, the seeds are incredibly nutritious. Right, hemp seeds. Uh, hemp seals, seeds yeah. are awesome. And that's, an, I mean, that that takes you further into the hypocrisy. Why can you go into a grocery store or Costco or Trader Joe's and you can go buy hemp seeds? doesn't make any sense. Yeah. If it's but, um, yeah, I, I got off on a tangent. We there, digress. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. So as we wrap up the interview, I'd like to talk about your transition to life after football. Yeah. Um, I know you guys kind of talked about that on the panel uh, beforehand. So what was your transition yeah. like and what do, what advice do you have for athletes? I know that you have your own um, organization that you've yeah. kind of started to help in this area. Yeah. Um, well, I think that, you know, you have to – the transition out of my football career was has, has been one of the um, hardest – uh, struggles of my life, but it's also been one of the most awarding, rewarding experiences of my whole life as well. Um, you know, it's a process and it's a struggle and it's really hard. You know, you, when you think about it, you've spent, you know, every minute of your day of your life for the last however many years dedicated to this thing, this game, you know, and that's, you know, all the workouts, all the extra stuff, all the meetings, all the, all the extra on the field, you know, time, all the practicing, the injuries, the blood, sweat, and tears. I mean, you've put so much into it, and it's really important to respect that. And for me, you know, recognizing that I was going through this grieving process, you know, and I've really, I've gone through quite a, a transformation as a person you know, over the last couple of years. And I think, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm just now, you know, going into my third year into retirement, I'm just now starting to find myself as a person outside of the game, you know, because you don't realize, you know, even for me, I was a guy, I found writing, I fell in love with writing in high school. Didn't you study creative writing? Yeah. And yeah. I chose Arizona because creative writing, they were one of the few schools that had offered me that had a creative writing program. It's really it's, cool. One of the best in the country. And when you see this huge <laughs> offensive lineman, you wouldn't yeah. expect him to. I know. I know. I was really, the, I was, I was very I, on I my own I love that there. though. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. No, it was fun. But even with that and even hearing, you know, because you hear these things, especially when you get to the league, not for long, man. It's not for long league. You know, it's, uh, you know, you're going to have to do something afterwards. But as a young guy who's realized his dream, you're not thinking about that. You know, you're everything you've done you, and you don't even realize how much you identify with just this fact of you're a football player. You know, and like I mentioned on the panel, I think it's been very helpful for me to, A, you know, realize that I, I need to allow myself to go through this grieving process. Man, I, I cried a lot. I fucking had a lot of really dark days. I've never had to make a schedule for myself. I've never had to, like, get up and figure out what I'm going to do. It's always been football. It's always been right there in front of me. And so, you know, like we're doing with Athletes for Care and, you know, getting coming back to the cannabis thing in a minute, you know, it's important, you know, to me to have a resource for guys to come and share their struggle. And that's when you grow. You know, and that's when you can realize, like for me, it's like, man, the work ethic and the mindset that it took to get to that level, yeah. to even just to play sports at any level, high school or college. Yeah, I but mean, you're like top zero 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 one percent, you know. Yeah, it's very unique and it's very special. And once you can relieve yourself of the fact that you've lost this thing and there has been this death in your in your life and your ego um you know then you realize man i've got i've got a great work ethic you got to figure out what your passion is you know for me cannabis advocacy helping people healing spreading education and awareness this is my passion i don't know how i'm going to make it work right now but i'm just doing it you know i'm just getting with myself you, dude, yeah. out there you know exactly <laughs> yeah that's why i've got a ton of respect for what you're doing with this podcast i mean you know 
this is what I'm doing and I found a ton of passion and purpose in this. And, you know, I want to help guys with that transition because I know how hard it can be. And, you know, it's one thing when it's coming from some outside entity, but when it's coming from a guy who is there doing it, you know, and you can relate to that guy, you know, and this is all for men and women, you know, this is, this isn't just a male thing, obviously, but any athletes, um, you know, when you can look at somebody and see that, oh, I'm not alone, I'm not totally alone in this place. You know, it's important. It's very healing. It's very therapeutic. And so, you know, my transition out of the league has been crazy. Been some really dark times. Um, you know, I'm finally, you know, I found my purpose. You know, I'm really interested in helping people. And, uh, you know, it takes time. And you have to be, um, sounds funny you know because as men we don't like to admit this but you need to be gentle with yourself you know and you need to allow yourself to go through these emotions like don't be hard on when you feel those feelings yeah don't be hard on you know man you you know you've you've appreciate the work that you've done right appreciate that you know really appreciate and have gratitude for that experience, you know. Man, dude, you got to play one of the greatest games in the world, you know, and you got to compete, you got to dominate, you got hurt, you got your ass kicked, you kicked people's asses. You know, it's it's a it was a beautiful experience and you've learned, you know, without really understanding it unless you're a guy who had to, you know, work outside of the game. Like for me, I was, I was lucky. I just could focus on football basically from high school through to the NFL. So I never had anything. I never had anything that I had to think about or worry about or another job or, you know, everything was like, all I needed to worry about was football. So coming out of it, you know, that was a huge struggle. And, and, you know, you've got to be all right with yourself that you don't know, you know, that you don't know the answers. You don't know what to say to people when they ask you what you're doing. You don't know how to relate to people after playing football, and that's okay. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. And to me, you know, cannabis has been a part of my healing process, and I think that, you know, the bigger picture things that cannabis fits into are things like this in, in easing that transition out of the game. Because it's not something that you're going to get addicted to. You're not going to be locked down like with opiates. You're not going to be taxing your system further. And it'll help you with that emotional transition into life as a, as a normal person. I mean, that's, it sounds funny to say it, and I always am you know, hesitant to use those terms. But the truth is, you've been an extreme athlete for a long time, and it's going to take some time for you to just settle into life afterwards. And so... You know, I'm really excited about, you know, being able to be a part of Athletes for Care. And just a quick shout out to the program that I've helped develop with Athletes for Care called the Athletes Afterlife Program. Just a support group for any former athlete, whether you're high school, college, or pro, um, any sport, all sports. Um, And so that'll all be coming uh, pretty soon. Okay. No yeah. website yet or anything? Uh, you should be able to access athletesforcare.com pretty soon, within the next couple of weeks. Okay. Yeah. I'll put the link. I think the link's yeah, yeah, up. Yeah. It's just like yeah. one of those like yeah. coming soon yeah, uh, exactly. links. But all right, cool. Yeah. Um, all right. So do you wish that you had, like Nate was saying in, in the panel discussion about like having things outside of football while you're still playing? Is that even possible, number one, in terms yeah. of like still being successful on the field? Um, yeah. I know he was talking about the arts program. It sounds it sounds like a great idea because then when, yeah. when the game is over, you have something to kind of fall back on. And football isn't just your identity. Yeah. But from a lot of my interviews that I've had before this, people basically say like, unless you completely immerse yourself in that sport, you're not yeah. going to make it to the upper echelons of, for of sure. the game. So, what what are your thoughts on that? I think you're really you know you're right about that. You know, for me, I was lucky I had writing. So writing for me was kind of this outlet outside the game. And that's really where that passion grew. And you were writing while you were playing still? Yeah, I was not as much as I wanted, you know, as I 
should have been. Okay. But I did enough that when I came out of the league, I had like stacks of notebooks, you know, from my career in college and pros, you know, and it would be anything from, you know, a page of what had gone down that day at work, you know, in meetings with coaches, practice, whatever thoughts I had had to, you know, a few sentences on, you know, something a coach just said or, you know, a play or whatever it might have been. And I just kind of kept compiling all this stuff. And writing for me was really like my initial, it was like my escape ladder right. when I first retired. Um, and my wife was like, Eb, you have all these notebooks. Like, you should write a book. And I was like, really? No. So I kind of got on that journey first. And that led to some other things. Uh, publishers, you know, they wanted a little bit, they wanted a little bit more high profile of a guy. Um, they wanted more dirt and frankly, I just didn't have the dirt to give them. They wanted crazy shit that I just, a, I'm not looking to, you know, make up stories about people and B, you know, this is what it is. You know, this, this was the experience I had. So that led to, you know, some writing opportunities. I published a few articles, one with SI.com. They have a editorial column called the cauldron and then with playboy magazine, um, later, you know, and it all just started with writing about my experiences. I'll link some of those articles up. That'd be great. Um, and so I think that really helped me even, you know, that really helped me because, you know, writing is something you can get your thoughts on a page. You can work things out, you know, you don't have to, you know, it helps you be less reactive Um, and I think that's an important part of life. And I think that, you know, it is a very difficult balance, you know, because guys, you know, you're dealing with a lot of different things and it really has to be on the player. You know, you have to take, uh, responsibility for your life and you can't just get swept up in this, you know, tidal wave of I'm a football player, I'm an athlete, you know, you've got to grab something on the way. Yeah. You know, grab something that you enjoy. Maybe you like play. Maybe you play an instrument. Maybe you draw. Maybe you're really creative. I knew a lot of guys. Uh, a lot of I had a lot of teammates who were incredible artists. Um, you know, doing drawings and you know and and great stuff like that. And most football players, man, are super creative guys. You know, you don't get to that level. You know, being just kind of like a stick in the mud. Right. You know, you these guys have me, like... Me, Evan. Me play yeah, football. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, guys are big thinking, right? you know, really cool people, you know? And so I, I would suggest, you know, for young guys, find something that you like doing off the field, you know, that um, helps you feel fulfilled, you know? Don't just expect, you know, football, I mean, everybody who's played it, you know you know what football does. Football takes. So you need something that's going to fulfill you outside of that. So, yeah, I think it's incredibly important. I think that it needs to start at the individual. You need to, you know, if you're not someone who's inclined to, the, to do something else, you know, make yourself. Go find something else. Go to yoga classes. Go, you know, go do something that helps you uh, give yourself your own, your own personal identity, your own psyche, some distance from the game. Because I think that's important. I like that. Yeah. Uh, last question before we wrap it up. I'm really interested in, like, my guess idea of what toughness is to them. Because we both grew up in a sports culture where – you know, yeah. suck it up, you yeah. know, you're a pussy, whatever. Yeah, amazing, and right? that's, I feel like that's why my injury was as severe as it was because yeah. I didn't want to go to my coach, tell him of I had course. a headache, I wasn't going to play this week. So, and plus I had like two shoulder injuries that led to my head injury because I had nothing else to hit with. So it's all these things of me trying to be a freaking tough guy. Yeah. I've later learned a diff- new definition of toughness. So I, I'm curious what, what your definition of toughness is today. Um, that's a great question. I mean, you're totally right on point with like, let's shine a light on that first, you know, a perfect example of the, you know, this tough guy mentality is, 
I think it was a few weeks ago, J.J. Watt was on ESPN being interviewed, and he was asked, you know, what do you think about all these young guys who are, uh, you know, retiring early because they're really concerned about the concussions and the health of their brains? You know, and J.J. Watt said, well, you know, I don't, I don't really know because I'm not one of these guys that's a complainer. And it's like, oh, okay, J.J., like, that's a really intelligent thing to say. Didn't now. he just have, like, a really serious back surgery, uh, too? Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and so, you know, we need to move away from that macho, this this ridiculous, like, masculine macho bullshit that, you know, has driven us to those points where, you know, you've got kids who are concussed, staying on the field, not wanting to tell their coaches because they're worried they're going to be called a pussy. You know, being tough is really just speaking your truth. You know, toughness, I mean, nothing in life, life is not easy at any point, you know. Um, my best friend from high school, he, uh, he's a military veteran. We played, we were teammates in high school. I mean, literally brothers since about sixth grade. Uh, he went over and served in uh, Korea and Iraq. Um and so right after high school and he called me up, we still talk and he called me up the other day and he was like, Ev, you know, I want to remind you of something you told me when we were like 17 and I had just joined the football team. And I, he was like, I was just bitching and like, I couldn't <laughs> lift the, I couldn't, I was like, eh, trying to do these lifts. And he was like, man, you looked at me and you were like, Hey, no one said this was going to be easy, dude. Cause we had kind of convinced him to play, Okay, you know? <laughs> And so I, and it was in a moment where I really needed to hear that because in life, man, like you're always going to have adversity. And what do we learn in, in football? You know, you fucking see who, what people are really made out of, man, yeah. in the most adverse times, you know, everybody's a, a superstar and great and happy when things are going good. Yep. You know, when life gets really hard and it's really nasty and this happens, you know, Every day, people face some sort of adversity, some sort of event, something happens that you need to overcome. And so, you know, I think that's what toughness is. You know, toughness is about being able to speak your truth, being able to face the adversity with your truth. And, you know, if that's something like an injury, you know, and you're, you're in this environment where that's really frowned upon now to let people know what kind of pain you're in, you know, you need to change the dynamic, the thinking, uh, the thinking paradigm there. And, uh, you know, football being the game that it is, it could have a profound effect on our society as a whole. I, I completely agree. And I think that's a great message for, for the audience. Yeah. Uh, Evan, thank you very much for your time uh, and for, to, for, to do the recording with me, and I, I, I appreciate it. Yeah, and man. all the work that you're doing to help athletes transition to a life after sports. Well, you too, Kevin. Thank you. Thanks.